0: have indeed found No Persinium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. This program is brought to you by our amazing Patreon backers. Find out more at patreon.com slash no proscinium. This week on the show, we talk with Amy Ashton of the La Jolla Playhouse about the upcoming Without Walls pop-up. NoPro's Ali Murata speaks with Reagan Linton and Maggie Whittam, two theater artists and disability activists from Denver, Colorado. And we'll check in with Michael Anderson of ARGN.com about what's happening in the world of alternate reality games. But
1: first... Hello, this is Catherine Yu, Executive Editor of No Proscenium. Here's what's in the immersive headlines for July 23rd, Facebook's Claim to the Metaverse, two new location-based VR exhibits, and moves both onstage and offstage at the Walt Disney Company. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, in an interview with Casey Newton of The Verge, spoke about his vision for Facebook as a company which would bring the metaverse to life. Said Zuckerberg, quote, You can think about the metaverse as an embodied internet, where instead of just viewing content, you are in it, end quote. He describes a future where the metaverse isn't just VR, but also accessible across PCs, mobile devices, and game consoles. Zuckerberg's intention is to reframe Facebook as a metaverse company over the next five years. And in more current news, WarnerMedia, in partnership with Weaver, Keylight, and Dreamscape Immersive, has recently launched two interactive VR experiences at the Harry Potter store in New York City. Using VR headsets, backpacks, hand and foot trackers, as well as interactive wands, visitors will be able to roam freely through Hogwarts Castle in Chaos at Hogwarts, or fly through the skies of London in Wizards Take Flight, feeling the wind on their faces while riding their very own brooms. And in Montreal, Felix and Paul Studios and Phi Studio have just opened The Infinite, an interactive exhibit which transports visitors aboard the International Space Station. This exhibit is intended as an extension of Space Explorers, the ISS experience. This one-hour, seven-chapter journey will also allow up to 90 people at a time to explore a one-to-one wireframe version of the ISS in a free-roaming VR experience. The show will spend the next four months at the Arsenal Contemporary Art Montreal before traveling to Houston. And over in the world of theme parks... Disneyland in Anaheim and Walt Disney World in Orlando have both reopened their respective Jungle Cruise attractions, with updates removing racially insensitive depictions of Indigenous people. And yes, as you may have guessed, this recent revamp coincides with the July 30th release of the Jungle Cruise-themed movie. This attraction has been around since Disneyland's opening back in 1955. And behind the scenes at the Walt Disney Company, the organization recently announced the intended opening of a new corporate campus in Orlando, Florida, and the subsequent transfer of 2,000 jobs from its Southern California offices. Josh DiAmaro, chairman of the Parks Experiences and Products Division for Disney, said in a letter to staff, In addition to Florida's business-friendly climate, this new regional campus gives us the opportunity to consolidate our teams and be more collaborative and impactful from both a creative and operational standpoint. The move is expected to take place over the next 18 months and include Walt Disney Imagineering, the company's creative engine. And those are your immersive headlines for July 23rd.
0: One more bit of breaking news we're tracking this week. Actors' Equity, the professional union for actors and stage managers who work in theater and some theme parks here in the United States, have announced that they are expanding who is eligible for the union with a new program called Open Access. That will allow those who have worked professionally in the U.S., that is, those who have been paid for their theatrical work, to join the union effective immediately. This is a huge shift in who Equity has allowed to become members, and one way or another will have a major impact on the actual work here in the U.S. and potentially impact theme parks and marketing activations down the line. Needless to say, we will be watching this one closely. We've reached that part of the show where we check in with our friends from around the Immersiverse, folks who cover the scene uh, in all of its polymorphous ways. This week, we're going to slide into the world of alternate realities, specifically alternate reality games. Uh, And for that, we're going to be talking with Michael Anderson of ARGN.com, who has been covering this stuff for forever. Michael, hey, how's it going?
2: Noah, it is great to be on here. And yeah, it has been a while for both of us, hasn't it? Yes.
0: I'm really stoked to be able to have you on the cast uh, and, uh, and, and, and the intention, of course, being to have you around uh, on the regular. But let's dispense with the pleasantries and let's talk about what has been floating your boat of late. What's of interest to you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the bad news is you've been doing such a gr- uh, great job covering the ARG space over the past couple episodes that I can't really talk about uh, Omega Mart and how we've got a YouTuber who's going to be doing a cross-country road trip hitting all three of the locations. I can't talk about Magic Leap ARG and how we got that brought back as an audiobook. But what I can focus on is three really cool things that I'm super excited about. The first one of them is a project that's called Mysterious Nashville. And this is a project that's based out of, as you would expect from the name Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. And it's kind of been this weekly mission based geocaching mm-hmm. adventure where every week, MysteriousNashville.com sends out an email and tells people to go to a different place in the city or to solve an online puzzle to figure out where they're going. And the, End result of a lot of these is just your standard geocaching. There's a really cool art installation at the final location, or there's a dead drop and you're supposed to put something meaningful there, take something meaningful uh, from somebody else back. But there's this really light narrative that's been added to it as well about some guy who played the last version of Mysterious Nashville and is stuck in another dimension, So really, really cool, really weird project.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've I've seen you on the socials uh, talking about it. Is this got a thing where some people are working stuff online and other people are physically in Nashville and there's like a community building around it that way?
2: Yeah, this is very much a Nashville-centric experience right now, but there is a Discord where there's collective solving. And about once a month, there's a mission that's mostly online, so I can feel like I'm part of it, even though I'm absolutely not a part of it. Although I will say uh, the most recent email I got from Mysterious Nashville was saying it might be helpful for the next mission if you had a grappling hook and 60 feet of rope so um boy, the peop- the people who have the live experience for this one, that's gonna be a live experience.
0: Uh yeah. Um so at least it's a grappling hook and not a grappling hook gun. So uh <laughs> <they'll> just, <laughs> I guess they've got an option. Oh boy, grappling. Yeah. Well, um that's uh, good luck good luck to their lawyer. Uh what <laughs> I say <laughs> it,
2: there. It, it did it did say optional. It did say optional. Optional
0: <laughs> options options are good. Uh, insurance writers are better. Um, not to be not to be a killjoy, but uh, you, you said there's a little bit of vibe here that's kind of familiar to folks who've been uh, following this for a while. Uh, there's some maybe some uh, at least spiritually some some stuff that's kind of cool.
2: Yeah, and a lot of this is um, because it's at its core such a narrative location based experiences. I was really reminded when I was following this, especially for the um, uh, TikTok videos where people are documenting this, of the feel I got when I was going through Zhejun uh, Institute for day one of following that trail from place to place and having all of these secret things in the city for you.
0: All right. Got to wonder what it would have been like if TikTok had been around back then. Uh, what's, what's another thing you're, you're following right now?
2: Yeah. So another one of the games that recently launched is something called Neurocracy, And Neurocracy, if you go to neurocracy.site, N-E-U-R-O-C-R-A-C-Y, it's a story that's unfolding in uh, a future 2049 where a less trustworthy successor to Wikipedia has taken over. (laughs) And the entire narrative is really piecing together what happened for a geopolitical murder, By going through the revision history of this slightly less reliable Wikipedia and seeing how the truth is being slightly changed, modified and piecing together from all these disparate elements, what the heck is going on. And for me, it's just really cool to be having this story where like I'm used to unreliable narrators where you can't completely trust a character. Here, it's the platform that's the unreliable narrator. And that's just fascinating to me.
0: Oh, that is really interesting. Because when you first mentioned it, like I was, and you mentioned that there was like a website and the kind of it's, you know, literary, I was like, oh, is this going to be like, you know, uh, SCP, right? You know, uh, is it going to be one of those things? This This is very, very different. This is just like meta narrative as puzzle kind of sounds like it.
2: Yeah, within the alternate reality gaming space, particularly for the web series um, contingent, uh, there's a lot of viewpoints of storytelling and engagement as um, lore diving. Mm -hmm. And this game seems to be like 100% lore diving, where I was actually talking to somebody the other day about how a lot of times when you're piecing together what happened for prior alternate reality games, That process is kind of what neurocracy is of you've got all the evidence out there. It's just you need to figure out what order to go through it and how to piece it together.
0: Oh, wow. Intense. All right. We uh, we go for three here. So uh, who's batting cleanup?
2: Last one we have is actually a twofer because I love cheating at these games that we play <laughs> and it is a uh, mobile games. So one of the really cool things about alternate reality games is you get this live experience that you are living in the moment. Unfortunately, that's something that can only happen once. Uh, one of the solutions that people have taken within the alternate reality gaming space to work around that is what does it look like if you build single player alternate reality games that kind of play out in a contained environment. So uh, there's one company in particular that's been doing this for a while through something called Found Phone Games, where you install the app, you open up the app, and then it's like you found somebody else's phone and the entire game is playing around, digging through and unlocking the contents of that phone to find out whose phone is it and what happened to them. Um, The big game franchise for this company is called Simulacra, And they've got a series of games that are very supernatural in their nature. But they actually partnered with the BBC to release an official Doctor Who branded version uh, of this game where it's taking the plot of Blink, which was uh, the episode that introduced the Weeping Angels. And 10 years after that fact, you're finding the phone of one of the characters from Blink and trying to figure out what investigations was he going through to end up missing. And can you actually affect the story by playing this game? So the Doctor Who version of this game is Doctor Who and the Lonely Assassins, which if you are familiar with the franchise, probably informs you a little bit of who the big bad is. But uh, the found phone style of game is one of those models of it. But from more of the escape room bent, uh, Ohm Escape is um, one of the, big escape room franchises, this particular one came out of China, released a video game called Detective Mimo, uh, M-I-M-O. And with Detective Mimo, it's more of your standard point and click adventure, but then the game gets very meta and it goes from just point, uh, point and click as your interactions with the game into something that the best way I can describe this is you have to be using a smartphone to really experience Detective Memo. Okay. And this is a game that has layers that you peel back. So one uh, one version of playing through is point and click. The next level is when you're dealing with more of this smartphone-friendly accessible version of the game. And then there is a final puzzle trail that if you're really digging deep, it'll send you off to websites and it'll have you digging through puzzles and messing around with PowerPoint files but for that particular iteration, it's this narrative game where you're just peeling back the layers into something weirder and weirder and more meta with every layer.
0: That sounds absolutely delightful. About about how long does it take to play through uh, Detective Mimo? Because I think for me, one of my big resistances these days is, is just knowing how long is this going to take me?
2: Yeah, well, and the short answer is for both of the games I described... Uh, a playthrough will take uh, around two hours, three hours max. With Detective Mimo, the answer to that gets a little bit more flexible, where if you want to go further, your two hours might transform into four hours, or it might transform into 10 hours, Whoa. depending on how deep you want to go into the game. But you get a very conclusive, satisfying end after two hours of it.
0: Okay. Well, that does sound really interesting. Michael, thank you for for bringing all this to us. I'm sure you're going to have folks running around and clicking on various links and downloading things. So uh, if, if people do, if you chase after this stuff because Michael's uh, told you about it, let us know. And uh, can't wait till you come back and tell us about your next round of adventures.
2: Can't hardly wait. Hi everyone, I'm Kevin Gossett, the LA Reviews Editor for No Percentium, and I'm here to introduce this week's Pick of the Week. Every week our review crew meets in the Discord and in this very podcast feed to talk about the shows that we have seen. It's a partner to the review rundown on the site,
3: and it's where we pick the Pick of the Week. This week with the Pick of the Week we have... Edward Milgrist. Uh I'm a New York City correspondent uh, based here in Manhattan. Uh, pleasure to be here. So, Edward, what's this week's pick of the week? Pick of the week this week is Endure. The Run Woman Show. Yes, it is a pun on one woman show. It is a one woman show. Uh, It is a show taking place in Central Park uh, where you follow a runner as she is training for a marathon. For what reasons? Why are they running? You will find out as you follow them along their journey through Central Park. It's an audio, part audio play where you are uh, listening as you follow uh, live performers there with you and uh, you follow her throughout uh, the park. Uh, You will be brought into her world as uh, you travel through the sunshine, through the rain, whatever weather it is. uh, And it's a fantastic show taking place uh, at the moment. 75-minute runtime, $45. uh, Amazing uh, show for New Yorkers. And what exactly makes this Pick of the Week material? It's a simple concept and it is executed beautifully. The inner monologue for all of us when we're doing something that we don't want to do, when we're training for something, when we have this marathon ahead of us, whatever it is, is here personified. It is there in person. You follow them uh, as as you are doing the training. You work out why and the motivations, and it's so beautiful and impactful um in the same way that so many great shows uh they you have that fear of missing out and so you chase and you you follow the performers here it is done and that's part and parcel of the show it's an excellently designed show uh it from that point of view Uh, the show has been running for about 10 years now in uh, various forms Uh, The show was originally created by Melanie Jones, who has been uh, workshopping and running this piece for the last 10 years. Uh, It's a semi-autobiographical tale, so there's a lot of beautiful moments, there's a lot of triumphs, but there's, of course, there's some heartbreak. And the narrative is, again, it's straightforward, it's simple, but it's so poignantly done. Um, As someone who has run in the past, but... uh, covid 19 and uh, the whole pandemic year maybe took all that away from some of us this was a great show just to get that kick up the butt to get things started again to really feel why we run why that's part and parcel of it you don't have to run to enjoy the show there is a uh, great options and uh, it's well designed for that point of view so that people can walk and still experience the show in its entirety um but it really is a show where the um endorphins kick in. You want to be part of it. You want to chase, you want to find out more about the story. And I was blown away by this uh, piece. Like I say, it's, it's a simple show, simple concept. It's one of those ones where I look at it and I go, why hasn't this been done a thousand times before? But this really is a truly excellent piece of theater so i would heavily recommend it to anyone who's in new york uh, and i'm hoping that if enough people go and see it that uh, the team will decide to take this elsewhere it has done tours of uh, it's on the edinburgh fringe before it's done other cities but this is a show which i think has uh, forgive the pun it has real legs uh, it's it's got the stamina it needs it has the right motivation it's a beautiful show which everyone should experience thanks ed it's great to learn a little bit more about endure this week's pick of the week
0: Now we'd like to take a moment to thank our latest Patreon backer, Amanda Albrecht. You know, whether or not we keep this show running is up to each and every one of you. If you can, join us in the Patreon at the $2 or $5 level. More, if that's your thing. Backers get access to bonus features, including expanded interviews from the podcast and videos from our online events if you're strapped for cash and i know how you feel we can use your help in ways that don't involve money yes it's the old like and subscribe or in this case like and share nothing beats word of mouth so please share the podcast and the weekly review roundup and when it hits the call sheet on your social media platform of choice The bigger an audience we get, the bigger an audience the work we cover gets. Who knows? You just might benefit directly from that yourself one day. And if you can join the Patreon, it's patreon.com slash no proscenium. Still to come on the show, Immersive 101, our chat with Amy Ashton of the Without Walls Festival. But right now... July is Disability Pride Month, which marks the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act in July of 1990. The landmark legislation expanded access to millions of Americans and changed the way we think about issues of access and ability. Yet the work is far from over, and the performing arts have ongoing access issues of their own to which immersive work is no stranger. To mark Disability Pride Month, No Pro's Ali Murata talks with two Denver-based theater makers and disability advocates, Reagan Linton and Maggie Whittem.
4: Hi Reagan and Maggie, thank you so much for being here. Um, let's just start off with some quick introductions. Uh, tell us who you are and what you do. I'll start. I'm Allie Murata. I am a writer for No Brisenium, and I'm also an immersive theater creator and a disabled uh, patient advocate.
5: Hi, my name is Reagan Linton. I'm a theater artist, uh, disability advocate, actor, director, and former artistic director of Family Theater Company in Denver, Colorado.
6: Hi, I'm Maggie Widom. I'm a filmmaker,
4: theater artist, and disability advocate. Thank you both so much for being here. I'm so excited to be talking a little bit about accessibility and what that looks like for immersive theater. So let's start off with, um, just tell us a little bit about the work you both have been doing uh, with regards to immersive theater and accessibility.
6: So I am mostly an actor uh, in terms of my experience with immersive theater. It's mostly been as an actor and as a disabled actor, it's always... A question you know of what the accessibility is like for me as an actor and for the people who are potentially disabled audience members I have mobility disabilities um, so I've had the opportunity to work on a couple of really interesting projects and I think that it's important to incorporate disabled people and the ideas of accessibility because so often it's just kind of an afterthought or maybe it's Mm -hmm. pinned on at the very end. So I'm really excited that it seems like there's a trend towards including it a lot more.
5: Yeah. So I am an actor kind of like Maggie first and foremost. Um, I use a manual wheelchair due to a spinal cord injury. And really, I started kind of getting exposed to immersive theater, I would say, over 10 years ago, um, living out in LA, and there were a couple of immersive theater companies. So I really started the process as an audience member, you know, attending and kind of through the lens of uh, being an audience member, looking at how are these immersive performances set up? um, What is their attention to accessibility, both for audience and for performers? uh, And then have since then kind of you know, worked as an actor in in a variety of immersive performances, as well as a a consultant on a couple of um, immersive theater projects. So I've tried to kind of keep a very 360 holistic um, lens on on immersive work.
4: (laughs) I was wondering, have either of you worked in a more traditional, like proscenium type of theater setting?
6: Yes, absolutely. That's where most of my experience lies.
4: Yeah, likewise.
5: I think we've both had a lot of experience, which is, you know, kind of lends itself also to when you start moving out of the traditional theater space and, mm-hmm. and rethinking. And um, in some ways, you know, the traditional proscenium theater, uh, if even if you're just talking the literal structure of it, it's often kind of set in stone. And one of the beauties of immersive theater work is that the boundaries are a little bit more fluid. And, you know, accessibility is all about adaptation and all about um, mm-hmm. being able to kind of work and shift. And so I think there's a great opportunity for immersive work to, in some ways, be even more accessible than traditional proscenium theater uh, settings.
4: Yes. Um, I, I was wondering, uh, one of the things that I think about a lot is that immersive work is often not seated, And that is something that has to be considered for Uh, audience members and actors who use mobility devices. What are some other things that are differences in terms of accessibility?
6: I think that immersive theater can often be a very sensory experience, visually, auditorily, sometimes with smell and taste. And, you know, all of those can be potential disabilities that a certain person has that they can't see, they can't smell, they can't uh, hear those kinds of things.
5: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's often a much more intimate experience, at least in my previous experiences with immersive work, you know, where either you're moving with an audience or you're right up next to the performers or, you know, so so those are also just things that factor into accessibility in terms of mm-hmm. different people's social engagement and how that works, either physically, cognitively, sensorily, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I think those are, you know, usually in a traditional theater space, it's like, yeah, you're set, there's the fourth wall, there's the boundary, and often those boundaries are skewed in immersive work, and um, that has a big impact on accessibility in a variety of ways.
4: Absolutely. So like you had said earlier, immersive work is different, and that offers us a lot of different flexibility in terms of our accessibility and accommodation options. What are some new uh, tools maybe that we have discovered with this pivot to what we'll call quote unquote pandemic theater, uh, specifically for immersive creators?
6: I mean, I think that the pandemic has closed a lot of doors um, for people and closed down people's lives, but it's actually opened up the lives of a lot of disabled people because suddenly they can access uh, certain cultural experiences from home. I know that's certainly my the case with me. I had a stroke and I can't drive. And so it's very difficult for me to physically get to places. But if something is offered virtually, then suddenly I can attend. And it's, it's opened up a new world for me and a lot of other disabled people.
5: Yeah. And I would just build on that by saying that um, I, I think This last year and a half of of the pandemic has really exposed a lot of us to having to adapt in different ways, using different technologies, thinking about our work in different ways, Uh, and and particularly, there's also been a very strong focus on inclusion and thinking of like who have we previously been leaving out. You know, as people kind of get plunged Mm -hmm. into new environments that are not familiar for them, it's kind of awakened everybody to oh, we've been creating environments that have not been available to other people. So especially as we kind of get back into, uh, theater and cultural experiences, uh, you know, keeping that lens on it. And, and I think people are really eager to get back, you know, into flesh and blood experiences, but, um, you know, thinking about them in a different way. So I think it's really been just that creative creativity that's come from awareness.
4: I certainly have also benefited from, having so many different options for performance and being able to access performance from my own home has been a game changer. And I know that is resonant with a lot of other disabled audience members and creatives. So we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. What have you noticed has changed so far? And what work does the industry still have to do in terms of accessibility in immersive theater? Um, well, I'll, I'll jump in. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I think... <laughs> first, I think it's really important that we
5: remember that the ADA was for everybody. It's not just for folks with disabilities. It's made mm-hmm. our entire country more inclusive and accessible um, across the board, regardless of whether you uh, identify as disabled or non-disabled. Um, and and so I think, you know, mostly it's it's been about representation and presence, you know, where people couldn't get out and have certain experiences before or be in certain locations or um, certain communities. And so I, but, you know, also the ADA was just a starting point. It's not an end point. And so, I think sometimes when people tend to think of it as like, oh, ADA code, we got it, you know, done. Um, (laughs) It kind of forgets about like a lot of the nuance of just like human interaction and presence in certain spaces and representation. And that's where I think we still have more work to do, particularly in immersive theater and overall arts and culture is um, outward prideful representation of disability. That just makes it less, you know, that removes the shame and makes it just a, a kind of new normal for for uh, our, our industries.
6: Yeah, and I would just add to that. It's actually the 31st anniversary of the ADA, passed in 1990, and it was the biggest right. expansion of civil rights um, legislation since the Civil Rights Act in the 60s. And so it is for everyone and accessibility benefits everyone. Um, And so clearly we have a lot of work to do in all realms of civil rights. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I would just say that immersive theater, we want to provide a welcoming experience. We want everyone to feel welcome in these immersive experiences. And so um, I think that there is still a lot of work to do, but if we can think of the fact that one in five people in the United States, potentially even one in four people in the United States has a disability. Um, If you're thinking about access from the beginning, then you're increasing your uh, potential
4: audience. Yes, exactly. And I think that is a big difference as you both have stated earlier, um, when access is included in the planning and the thought process of the show, as opposed to added on after, or as a box that you have to check off, um, that changes everything. So with that in mind, I would love to ask what is one change or an action or a tool that immersive theater makers can use or do today to make their work more accessible?
6: Well, I I would say exactly what you just said, that access starts (laughs) at, at, at step number one, it's not step number 26. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, when you add it on at the end, then maybe it does feel more expensive. Maybe it does feel more burdensome. But if you think about it from the beginning and that it's for everyone, then I think that's going to help your whole process in terms of creativity.
5: Yeah, I would just add on that it's it's a huge asset, you know, that kind of puts us into different spaces as opposed to just, oh, here's one cookie cutter kind of person who's going to move through this and here's what their experience is going to be. You know, if you're thinking about it from, yes, what is somebody on wheels going to encounter here? What is somebody who has no vision going to encounter here? What if somebody um, what is somebody who has a different type of hearing is it's hard of hearing or deaf, what is their experience going to be? And it's just going to make it Overall, more holistically creative, um, you know, expansive uh, and and immersive. I mean, if, if you're thinking about it from all those different entry points, and um, it, it, and I think it just makes people better artists as well, um, and and uh, not not so closed off.
4: Yes, and I love that you phrased it as an entry point because I think that is definitely how creators should be thinking about accessibility in their work. This is an entry point for another audience member to join your work and to be a part of the world you're creating. And that's so exciting. Okay, last question. Are there any groups that are currently spotlighting work by disabled creatives that you guys would like to recommend?
6: Um, I, I'd like to give a shout out to Kinetic Light Dance. They uh, do work in San Francisco and New York, but also online. So it's very accessible to disabled people. And, um, you know, the disabled people are part of their creative team. And so it's it's there from the beginning, th- thinking about access and looking at disability as a creative asset. Um, also, I'd love to shout out Patrick Mueller at Control Group Productions. Um, He just did an immersive performance and made sure, you know, to include me (laughs) and (laughs) ask me for my, uh, you know, notes on accessibility for his outdoor immersive um, theater show. And it was like just really great to be able to give some input and and know that you're being thought of as potential audience members.
5: Mm hmm. Yeah, and um I, Maggie and I are both Denver based at the moment uh so that's kind of my <laughs> um my my lens but but there is an incredible group here Immersive Denver which is made up of a variety of different um immersive theater workers and I think that accessibility and inclusion has really been a focus of all of their um all of their work. So I would just say uh Immersive Denver, you know, is is one group that's really making sure that this is a priority for, for uh, all the different people who are part of it.
4: Thank you both so much for being here and chatting with me about accessibility. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. you.
0: again for your favorite segment of the show and mine it's immersive 101 and joining us again is Catherine Yu, executive editor of no proscenium hey Catherine hey everybody What, what do you have for us this week
1: well I thought we would talk about all the different kinds of realities that's plural Noah what there's more than one
0: kind of reality oh I'm in trouble
1: yes you are (laughs)
0: All right. What are the different types of reality?
1: So one of the ones that we talk a lot about on the podcast and on the site is virtual reality. And this is something where the participant is immersed completely in a digital environment. So you feel kind of fully enclosed and you're literally transported to some other time or place or planet when you put a virtual reality headset on.
0: Oh, that's like what my Oculus
1: does. Exactly, so if you've okay. got a Quest, you've got virtual reality.
0: Um. So that's virtual. Uh, you mentioned an augmented. What's an augmented
1: reality? So right now, typically what happens is, uh, for most people, augmented reality would exist on their smartphone device And they'd be looking at the real world through their device with digital stuff overlaid on top of it. And so you could be looking at your backyard and you could tap to do some stuff on your phone and then like a Pokemon would appear. And that Pokemon is an overlay on top of your physical environment that you can still see. So you're not putting anything on your head, at least not for most people.
0: Got to catch them all. Okay. Um, You mentioned... uh... What else did you mention? You mentioned a mixed reality. What's that?
1: Right. And so for a lot of people, um, mixed reality is this awesome convergence of augmented reality and the real world in that you will be able to interact with and manipulate both your physical environment as well as your digital environment. So imagine a scenario where you've got a digital cat in your real life living room, but that digital cat knows where your coffee table is and where your sofa is. And you can interact with all of the things that I just mentioned and they know about each other.
0: Does the digital cat know where the litter box is?
1: I don't know if we're there yet, but I really hope it does.
0: Okay. All right. All right. What's What's You mentioned there's four we're going to talk about, or maybe I'm imagining things because uh, there's so many realities, but I, I think there's a fourth reality. What would that be? Or what is so? Oh, hmm.
1: Sometimes when you're talking about virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality as a group, uh, you might hear a catch all term. Uh, it's abbreviated as XR. And some people say that that stands for cross reality. Other people say it's extended reality. Basically, trying to talk about all three of these things under the same umbrella.
0: Okay, so like a big catch-all. So some. So when we when we want to talk about the whole thing here at NoPro, we will say XR just as a shorthand, but it isn't a. It isn't like a particular piece of technology, right?
1: Exactly. Uh, if you want to get more specific, you'll usually say, "Oh, I'm talking specifically about virtual reality, augmented reality, or mixed reality."
0: All right. That's a lot of realities, but I, I think we got a handle on it. Catherine, thank you for coming by and setting us straight on all the wacky realities here in Immersive Land.
1: It was my pleasure. <laughs>
0: Joining us now on the show, we have Amy Ashton, the producing associate of the La Jolla Playhouse, who is leading the efforts these days over with a Without Walls. I got that right, right?
7: Without Walls, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that you're leading the efforts with Without Walls. So um, <laughs> that's about... We do all this vigorous prep, and then I just wing the first question, because it's no <laughs> proscenium. Um it's Why not? Why not? Um Without Walls has long been a favorite of us here at NoPro, but for those, uh, particularly maybe those of uh, of us in the audience who are coming from the virtual reality realm or escape rooms, uh, tell could you tell the audience what Without Walls is? What's the mission here?
7: Sure, absolutely. Without Walls um, was founded a few years ago. Um, Chris Ashley, our artistic director, you know, has long been leading the Playhouse and has done, you know, an incredible job with our subscription season and all the stuff that happens on campus at the La Jolla Playhouse, which is at UCSD, um, and really wanted to find a way to engage with, you know, what time was a kind of newer frontier of work with, of Work that happened either outside of a the theater or redefined what the theater space was, and really just finding ways to a way to bring that to the the audiences, both at the Playhouse in San Diego at large in Southern California, um, and really like you know what he was seeing in Europe, being able to do some of that here on our side of the world. Uh, so the festival has been happening every other year, uh, and that is a live in person large festival that we had scheduled to have happen in 2020, this October, 2021. And with the pandemic, everything kind of got derailed. We actually pivoted and started doing, uh, moved our all of our work digitally, which I think a lot of companies did. But for us, we really wanted to focus that under the WOW umbrella. We call it WOW without walls. Um, and so as opposed to kind of going down the you know, staged readings of plays or, you know, developmental work that was going to be happening in our subscription series. We really pivoted and wanted to engage with the WOW artists that uh, we had a kind of history with to say, like, what is this new frontier and do you want to play in it? And so that was uh, our last year's worth of programming was almost exclusively WOW programming all happening digitally. So in in this transition moment of coming, you know, through maybe in the middle still of this pandemic, but uh, starting to be able to gather again, especially with being able to gather outdoors. We wanted to find something that is not the same scale as the normal without walls festival, which is a four day, you know, has 15 to 20 different uh, acts doing different performances at different scales, kind of all over a large, um, some sort of a space, whether it be a campus or outdoor area with other buildings uh, to actually just kind of look at that, think pop-up, think street street art, think community. So we, we um, have engaged with five local artists, most of whom have already been a part of the WOW Festival or have worked, that, you know, worked in that realm to create little tastes of their work. In And in, in, in we're going to create, in essence, one sit-down of like 90 minutes or so where folks can come and get these little tastes of some celebratory wow work to uh, really just mark this moment of being able to come back together and enjoy live art at once in one place. Who
0: are some of the folks that you've you tapped to be part of this uh, pop-up setup?
7: Yeah, so we're working with um, Blind Spot Collective, which uh, is a, res- a resident theater company with us. They actually started their residency in the 2021 season, and we have extended that now that, again that season didn't actually happen live. Uh, so they're going to be with us at least through 2022 as a resident theater. And they were a part of the 2019 festival with a piece called hall pass, which is done in a, in a school uh, near the festival grounds. Uh, oh yeah. So I
0: saw that. That was most excellent.
7: They're really, really wonderful. And they have been embedded in the community in a way that is uh, really exciting. And they work kind of with all they, they, they have they find a way of kind of unearthing and, and engaging with artists that that, uh, that had never crossed my desk before. Gets, I just find that to be really, really thrilling. So they're, they're working with some devised work. They've done some, um, some surveys with the community and they're, they're using the responses from that survey to create a, a piece called, uh, When the Bubble Bursts, kind of reflecting on the last year and a half and what we've gained and what we've lost and how, we, how to celebrate that. Uh, where we're at. Um, Jessica Prudencio, who um, is a local director, she was, she had a piece in the 2019 Wow Festival called PDA, um, and she's working on a dance piece that's going to be exploring, you know, this experience of isolation and readjustment, really interested in kind of how our bodies have have functioned in this new world and and, and in the old world and in the, you know, kind of transitional period that we've been in. Um, and really interested in engaging, engaging with both the humor and the humanity of that. Uh, and then we're also working with uh, San Diego Black Artists Collective, which uh, actually is a newer group for the Playhouse, but we um, were a part of their Juneteenth uh, programming. They, uh, we par- partnered with them for one of their pieces and they are continuing. It's a musical exploration of um, how Black artists have shaped the history of America and the history of the world, uh, mostly predominantly through music, the lens of music. And um, so they're really interested in evoking the cookout feeling and and kind of bringing that project, which originally was digital, into the uh, site-specific and immersive world. That will be a really, really fun uh, exploration on that. We're also working with David Reynoso and Optico Moderna. He's a resident artist with us uh, as well and he has been involved with the Block Festival for a few years with his pieces of Las Quinceañeras and Waking La Llorona, uh, both in 2019 and 2017, um, and he's working on a piece that would hopefully do some engagement with uh, younger audiences. Um, and finally, Kenny Ramos, who is our, our late, our newest artist in residence, uh, and he is interested in exploring the idea of land acknowledgement and the land that Liberty Station, which is where we're holding this uh, this event, um, exists, and and looking at, at kind of what that what that story of that land is, and what when we talk about land acknowledgement, what that means, and how he is Kumei, a native Kumei, lives on the reservation, and um, how that relationship can start to be more authentically uh, examined, and how we can bring that community into a community that maybe they haven't always felt welcomed into, which feels feels pretty much on the forefront of a lot of our thoughts these days. So yeah, so those are our five, our five artists and they're just, I couldn't be more excited about all of the way that they're, and they're all working together because we want the event to feel uh, cohesive. So it's not like you come and you just see one of them at one time, like you can come and in the course of an hour and a half, experience all of their work kind of served up to you in a really uh, easy to access format.
0: I'm going to ask this next question, kind of it's a a bit of a twofer here. Um, One just kind of from the user experience side, the audience side, I'm I'm wondering what they can expect. And I know some of that's going to be impacted by the ever-changing COVID protocols here in California, Uh, LA just went back to masks uh, for indoor stuff. Um, so I'm, uh, and of course the numbers are going up and, you know, it's, it's so much fun and, and, and so great to be doing, you know, public art festivals <laughs> It's such a, such an easy thing during the middle of a pandemic to be, uh, calculating this stuff. So what, what can people kind of expect, uh, from sort of the, the user perspective and, and with, how are you navigating this, this constantly moving target of COVID?
7: Absolutely. I mean, you know, the health and safety of the La Jolla Playhouse patrons and staff and artists is obviously the number one priority of everything we do and literally everything we do. Um, So we're constantly keeping an eye on all of the guidelines. We're monitoring them both with UC San Diego, which is our, our kind of the campus, our offices are on San Diego County and the Department of Public and Health, Center of Disease Control, all of, all of the people who keep putting down edicts, we are, we are keeping all of that information at the forefront of all of our considerations. And clearly, you know, like everybody, we're just staying tuned and, and, and making sure to be ready to be reactive as, as we get closer. Because the only thing we've learned in the last year is whatever you know right now will change in the coming days, in the coming months. So it's hard to predict um, what we'll actually be in, but we are very hopeful with being outdoors, and um, the North Promenade, which is where we'll be um, having the event, is very large, and there will be the, you know, ample ample places for people to find space that feels safe for them. You know, obviously, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, as long as it's under the guidelines of what what the county and the you know local authorities are saying, we are you know happy to uh, to be accommodating to folks, and we will have. Um, all sorts of all of the safety protocols that we can find and will be uh, clearly communicated before the event and at the event Um, and we're just yeah we're just staying tuned and we're really hopeful that we'll be able to uh, to figure out the best way to do that. But for the most part, we're staying tuned. You know, a few weeks ago, it felt like we'll be completely open and able to just let people sit wherever they want. But if that changes, we have, again, that's the, the beauty of this company is we, we've learned in the last year how to mobilize and how to change our plans as they go. So we will, well stay tuned, and we hope everyone else will stay tuned and we'll be we'll be in really constant communication with folks about
0: that. Well, it is a fantastic lineup of artists. Liberty Station is a great place for this exact kind of work. Doesn't hurt there's a stone brewery there.
7: Uh, certainly <laughs> I, doesn't <laughs> I, I had
0: a I had a grand old time at the last wow. and so i'm I'm very excited that uh, that there's that there's more more to come uh yeah amy can you uh stick around for a couple of minutes to do a little overtime with us uh in the bonus section of the cast
7: i'd be happy to
0: all right amy ashton thank you so much for being on the podcast
7: it was a pleasure thanks for having me
0: backers will get to hear some more from our chat with amy ashton this weekend that's right we've got the patreon tiers working again uh the uh the team at Acast uh did an amazing job uh giving us some uh you know kind of white glove treatment we uh got on the horn with one of their engineers we had managed to discover a bug uh that they had never found before (laughs) because that's who we are. Uh, and uh, we, we worked with them in real time and resolved it. And when we got everyone on the horn, it, it, it was over. Uh, the pain was over really quickly. And the, uh, the backer bonuses are well on their way. So I'm excited to get that going on. And... Uh, the one with Amy is going to be our very first backer exclusive. So uh, patreon.com slash no proscenium if you want to hear more from that interview. And there's going to be uh, more of that kind of stuff on the way. I've got a few videos to upload this weekend from our spring fling. And uh, they're they're finally ready to uh, get loaded up. So um, there you go. And by finally ready to get loaded up, I mean I finally found where they were on my hard drive. <laughs> This is the loose part of the show, everybody. Um, uh, we're we're tracking so much. Uh, just so you know, like the original plan for this was we were going to do our feature on Little Cinema. We're still working on that. Uh, the week just kind of crunched me in a way that I didn't quite expect. So I'm I'm pushing that one a little further back. Um, making this show the way we do now is a lot of fun. It's also a lot of work. So figuring out the cadence. Figuring out uh, how many produced pieces we're gonna go, particularly uh, in a month, particularly when I have so many ideas uh, for them. So uh, gotta gotta watch the line here to make sure that uh, we don't just wipe ourselves out completely. Um, we could always use a little more help, um, but yeah, the little cinema one that that'll definitely pop up in August. There's a couple of things uh, between now and then. And indeed, next week's show is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm not the one mixing it. You'll hear about more about that in a second. Uh, also want to give thanks out to uh, Kevin Gossett and Edward Milchreest for uh, the Pick of the Week Uh, This week you can check that more of uh, edit talking about indoor uh, over on the review crew show Uh, They go deeper there. That is one stop back on the feed. You'll also find Juliet Bennett Rila talking about Siobhan Laughlin's every day. I hope that was a show I caught last week Siobhan's a friend uh, and as you know, like our voice at the start. Uh, so obviously I can't uh, <laughs> review those things, uh, but uh, I like the show a lot. So there you go. I liked my friend's work. What a, what a shocker. But also, no, I mean, uh, like a, a, an interesting evolution of uh, of the work Siobhan's done, both in person and uh, online uh, a real evolution of, of her work but Juliet uh, Who had never gone to see a Siobhan show before uh, She talks about it on the review crew uh, Patrick talks about Madrid Noir which is on Oculus right Now uh, that's a piece that Catherine Really loved uh, at Tribeca This year and now it's out on Oculus For all uh, there's There's a lot check out the review crew Show um, Also want to thank Ali uh, Ali uh, pitched the idea about doing something For disability pride uh, you know back in June And I was like alright let's go uh, So big thanks to Ali for uh, pitching that and for Letting us have that on the show This month um, What else is there uh, of course Thanks to Michael Anderson uh, Thanks to all of our uh, friends out There uh, who cover this stuff uh, to, to Michael To Kent By to David and Lisa All of it on the show Out uh, To Scott Stein who's out there uh, At CNET Um, to Todd Martins at the LA Times, just everyone, everyone uh, who's uh, putting an eye on this space. uh, We, um, you know, uh, to Alexis Solosky at the New York Times, uh, just big shout outs uh, for uh, helping uh, elevate this work in the eyes of uh, the general public. That is, that is a big reason why we exist And indeed, um, you know, I I made the formal pitch earlier and yes, we always need the money at the Patreon, but it is actually really important uh, for folks to share this podcast, to share the rundown, to share the call sheet, which comes out every other week, sometimes weekly when there's enough work, Uh, you know, those all do good numbers for us. They can do a lot better. And the more that gets out there. Uh, the more people share those particular pieces, I think the bigger an audience we get, and then in turn, the bigger an audience we can turn around uh, and give to the folks who we cover. Uh, you know, we we sometimes cover things that are really, you know, tiny and obscure, and then we that don't have a lot of capacity. And so, you know, it can be frustrating for folks to find out about it. It's like, what do you mean I can never see it? But when we also cover stuff that can pull a lot of people through, you know, uh, and that is that is stuff like, wow... Omega Mart, Little Cinema, Brassroots District, all of it, all of it uh, can push a lot of people through. And uh, we're going to be uh, dancing between those lines more and more as the year goes on. All right. That's enough for me. As I noted, I am very tired. Um, uh, nothing's wrong <laughs> other than life. So don't worry. Uh nothing of that nature. Uh let's uh let's do the let's do the end part of the show. All right, here we go. Sustaining backers of no proscenium. These are the people uh, who pay my rent, <laughs> literally. Uh at least in part. Um one day maybe all of it. Uh they are Ari Hurston, Brittany, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Emily Gillette, Lonnie Hands-on, Paul Farnell. Mark Baltazar, Samuel Mystery, Sydney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all so much. And I hope I get to see a lot of you at the Summit and Festival in January in Pasadena. I hope I hope uh, I get to see a lot of you come out. I hope to get see a lot of you as well, listening not just the sustaining backers, but I don't know why I threw that in there. I'm tired, that's why. Um the associate producer who did not get to mention last week because I'm a jerk? Uh, the associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Uh, Thank you, Parker, so much for keeping me sane through this process and this expansion. Uh, The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Uh, And congratulations on the new digs, Chris. I heard about them from our friend. Um, Special thanks, of course, to Siobhan Lachlan for voicing our intro. Mentioned that before. Catherine Yu is the executive editor of No Persinium. You can find all the stuff we do at nopersinium.com And you can use our searchable site, everythingimmersive.com, if you are looking for something to do. And that is put together by a man named Chris Grimm. Thank you, Chris, for keeping that uh, alive and for expanding it. This podcast, the No Pro Podcast, is written edited, hosted, produced, and mixed by yours truly. I don't say that as bragging. I say that as a way to explain why I'm so tired. Uh, I am Noah Nelson. Next week on the show, our lead feature is by Ricky Briganti, co-author of the Immersive Industry Report and one of the co-founders of Pseudonym Productions. Uh, We're doing a dive into the business of Immersive. Really looking forward to what Ricky has cooked up. Not the least of which for reasons because I don't have to mix it. So thank you, Ricky, big time for that. And until next time, I will see you at the show.